Hello fellow Kentuckians and other friends and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie and joining me as always is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing very well. Today we have lots of things to talk about, but first I wanted to say our guest is Josie Raymond, our good friend Josie Raymond. She's been on the show many, many times before. She's a state representative from Louisville. She's in Heights Point in J-Town and she talked to us about her new movement, Get Up! Get Universal Pre-K uh, in Louisville. So uh, I'm on the steering committee of that group, so I invited her to come on and talk about it. It's a really, really cool effort to try to get Universal Pre-K for all the children in Louisville who are three and four years old. We want to have it to be free, high quality, and publicly funded. So we talked to her about that. We touched on a few of the other things she's doing in the 2022 assembly, but yeah, that was most of what we talked about was pre-K. But before we get to that conversation, we have lots of things to talk about. We have a Republican who is running for governor. Jazz was gonna tell us all about that. We're gonna talk a little bit about another one of Kentucky's constitutional officers, Michael Adams, who had a big week. A couple of big things happened to him. He testified at a committee in DC and got subpoenaed. So be uh, on the lookout for that story as well. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Kentucky's budget, which is enjoying a $1 billion surplus. And we're going to talk a little bit of COVID. So without any further ado, Jasmine, tell us about Mike Harmon. All right. So on Monday, State Auditor Mike Harmon became the first Republican to run for governor in 2023. When asked why he's running, he said... I just feel like over the last year and a half, the people of Kentucky really have had their liberties and their livelihoods suspended and stolen. And really, the policies that have been made to try to make those individuals whole really have fallen quite short. Um, So I'm guessing here he's referring to like covid regulations is that what you think robert i i think that that matches with liberties i i don't know what yeah like livelihoods i guess it maybe i don't know i don't know what that is because you know i guess maybe the the unemployment stuff that's going on with people having trouble getting i think it's businesses shutting down because of covid restrictions yeah that could be it as well sure yeah so you know i think that's what every republican that gets in the race is going to run on. And also, you know, as auditor, his office has produced two reports criticizing the Bashir administration's handling of unemployment. So one of them had to do with workers like accessing their own claims. And then the other was the office not responding to like hundreds of emails. Yeah. So neither of those things are great. And I think that what Mike Carmen has going for him is the unemployment crisis. And I think that's something that all the Republicans can can criticize Bashir for as well. Uh, so I wondered about that, Jasmine. And we've talked quite a bit about the unemployment issues as they've evolved here in Kentucky. And for all the people who didn't get their unemployment who deserved it, it's devastating. And it's really bad. Yeah. And it's too bad that the Bashir administration didn't do a better job with it. But the thing is, like, that's a lot smaller group than people who lost their jobs and were able to access unemployment for the first time. You know, like there's mm-hmm. a ton of people who made use of the unemployment system who, so, and, and that, you know, that's like 95% of the people who tried to access it. So do you think that like from a political standpoint, which is of course different from an administrative standpoint, we already said it wasn't great that people didn't get what they, you know, deserved. Um, from a political standpoint, do you think that this is something that's going to have salience? I don't know. I think it might because I have heard of people 
who have had trouble getting their unemployment. And I think Republicans who run for governor are going to find these people who had terrible experiences and really hammer on that. And so, I mean, I think it's it's going to be one of the big issues for Bashir for re-election, probably. Yeah. Even though a lot of it is it's not his fault. Like, this is the infrastructure that he inherited from the Bevan administration and COVID happened right after he got into office. So, and, and the most, though I don't really think it's his fault. It, it's going to be something that might resonate with more like moderate Republicans, maybe than the whole, like Bashir's a tyrant yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I think you're probably right about that. And the thing that's probably the most depressing to me about not just Mike Carmen, but also just like in general, all the Republicans reactions to the unemployment situation is like they're not going to propose any solutions to the unemployment crisis. And, you know, Andy Bashir actually has proposed solutions for how to improve the administration of the office. They're just not taken up by the legislature. Right. Republicans are just saying using the government to help people is a flawed proposition and we're just not going to do it. So I guess if this happens again, we're just not going to have unemployment problems because we're not going to expand unemployment. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't know. It's that's. It just comes up a little short to me, but I, I totally understand what you're saying, and I think you're probably right. If if uh, people see people, if people see you know the folks who should have gotten unemployment and hear bad stories, that's going to resonate. You're, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. So I have a couple questions for you. First, so what do you think Mike Harmon's campaign will be like? Yeah. <laughs> Not great, short-lived. I, I don't have high hopes that Mike Harmon's going to survive the Republican primary. I, he's just not a very dynamic person. Yeah. I think he got that nomination for auditor in 15 because nobody wanted it. Because at the time, Adam Edelin seemed like, you know, besides, he, he seemed like the best position Democratic nominee that year. He was the, uh, him and mm -hmm. Alison Lundergan Grimes were running for re-election. You know, Adam Edelin had done a really great job. He was coming off of, like, Crit Lou Allen's term as uh, auditor, and she'd been very successful. Uh, and, and I think Mike Harmon's like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Uh, reminded me a little, like, Michael Bowman on the Democratic side last time is like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm running for it. I'm giving it a shot. And then all of a sudden, now he's like this two-term constitutional officer kind of guy who all of a sudden is like, oh, you know, I did a good job for two terms. I'm going to run for governor. But people don't know who he is. If I ask my mom, mm -hmm. like... Who, who's the Kentucky's auditor? I don't think that she would be able to come up with the answer. What do you, I mean, do you think that your parents would be able to name who the Kentucky auditor is? My mom, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And your moms are really well, in, all, all four of our parents are well-informed people. I just, you know, this isn't somebody that a lot of people know. And he is just isn't, he, he tells the Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy jokes at, at uh, you know, uh, Fancy Farm. That's about what he's known yeah. for. Like, so I, I just don't think, I just don't think it's it's going to work for him. Yeah, so I think this quote from his announcement kind of sums it up for me. He said, my launch is not filled with fireworks and fanfare, but merely my strong determination to help renew Kentucky and hopefully help the state become the best version of itself it can be. Yeah. So he admitted up front... He's not bringing no fireworks, fireworks and fanfare. Yeah, no yeah. fun at all. So I, yeah, I think he's kind of going to be a boring candidate. So that brings me to my next question. You said he, you don't think he lasts very long. So who do you think is most likely 
to jump in the race. And how soon do you think we'll see those announcements? Yeah, I, I don't know if we're going to see them before the end of 2021. We will see. I don't know why Mark Har- Mike Harmon got into the race so soon. I don't know what he hopes to benefit, maybe raising money or something, clearing the field. Um, but I think you'll see Ryan Corals run. He released a statement after Mike Harmon ran, basically playing the, the Rocky Atkins card from the last time around when, when Andy Bashir announced pretty early. I think, you know, a year after this, he announced in like 2022, but Rocky Atkins was like, this is too early to announce. And I'm focused on doing my job as, you know, Democratic leader in the House. <laughs> right. I don't know exactly what Ryan Corral's statement said, but it was something along the lines of I'm focused on doing my job as agriculture secretary. Well, you know, the, the auditor is going to be busy running around running for governor. So uh, clearly he's running. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that's the most I think I think Ryan Corral's is the most clearly the person who's most clearly running and I think he should be in my head he's the favorite to win the nomination the other name I've heard lots and lots is is uh Kelly Kraft Joe Kraft's wife you may know the Joe Kraft is the coal baron uh from eastern Kentucky but Kelly Kraft is is a very good politician in her own right she was in the Trump administration as the UN ambassador I believe uh and she had Mm -hmm. done some like foreign policy stuff She's clearly running also. She's trying to boost her social presence. I've seen her tweeting quite a bit, and she's she's around. I think it's highly likely she'll run. She brings a lot of money to the table, but also not the most engaging or dynamic candidate for a Kentucky Republican primary, and her issues are like international relations. I right. don't, I don't know <laughs> what relevance that has to being the governor of Kentucky. So, you know... I think that those are the two people I've heard the most often. I wouldn't be surprised if there were definitely a few more that that hopped in. Maybe some folks from the legislature, like a a Ralph Alvarado. I wouldn't be surprised if Mm -hmm. he ran something like that. Um, Do you think that Jamie Comer might run? Yeah, that's... uh... I, I used to really think he wanted to run this time, and, and I've kind of come down on it a little bit. He seems pretty comfortable in Washington, D.C. as a House member. Um, and, you know, if, if that's what he wants to do, he's got that seat probably for as long as he wants it. That's a tough seat. That's probably the toughest seat for Democrats to win in the whole state, honestly. And mm-hmm. there's five that are really, really hard uh, for Democrats to win. So, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, I think that I, I, th- I think that's probably where he is now, but I don't know. He may want to be governor. He clearly did at one point um, and, you know, came within a couple hundred votes of, of doing it himself. So, yeah, there you go. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Yasmin, anybody else that's well, on your list? No, those are all of the ones on my list. I think I thought maybe Jamie Comer because I think a lot of Republicans were criticizing Bashir for, like, keeping the extra unemployment benefits and things like that. And when he announced the like back to work incentive i think ryan quarles had supported some kind of incentive yes and jamie comer came out as being very critical of it so i don't know if he is trying yeah to criticize ryan quarles because he's considering running and he's going to run further to the right i don't know that was kind of my guess from all of that but he is he is in a pretty good spot in Congress right now. 
Yeah, you're right, if though. If he wants to be there. I had forgotten about that. Yeah, Andy Bashir has the, like, backdoor incentive where if you, like, get a job, you get $500 or something like that. I don't know exactly how it works, but... 1500 1500 yeah. And, um, yeah, and Ryan Corals had been very supportive of that idea, and Jamie Comer came out against it very strongly, and that does... I think you're right about that. I think you're right about that. That does indicate that he may be interested in running for governor, so... We'll see. We'll definitely see. So, uh, yeah, I'm, ba- I'm back into thinking Jamie Cobra might be running. So <laughs> so that's really all I've got um, yeah. on my Carmen. I guess it may be a while before we hear anything else. But, you know, we have we have the first candidate. Yeah, I kind of have a feeling we're announcing the, the start of this race and may not hear more from him for several months. So we'll, we'll see. Um, Kentucky has more than one person named michael in the executive branch uh michael adams is the secretary of state and he had himself a busy week so on monday michael adams went to washington dc he didn't actually go to washington dc he he spoke to a committee who was meeting in washington dc uh testifying before a u.s house committee that was talking about elections the committee invited michael adams because he's kind of become the face of republicans who don't want to restrict voting rights any further he kind of walked this fine line in his tes- testimony. Adams explicitly said that he didn't support Democratic proposals in the U.S. House, inclu- uh, specifically the For the People Act, because he didn't support federal mandates on states. However, he also said that policies should be made in a bipartisan fashion, which I think is uh, a, sh- a little bit of shade, a little bit of criticism on the actions taking place in Texas and Georgia, which their state legislatures mm-hmm. are working to pass voting restrictions using only Republican votes. So, you know, calling for bipartisanship and saying that the federal government shouldn't be involved is kind of this tightrope that he's walking. The crux of Adams' testimony was to say that states know best about how to administer elections in their own states, but this is a fundamentally bad message. So if you go all the way back to the Voting Rights Act of 1965, that was a necessary bill to pass because southern states systematically excluded black people from voting. I said southern states. It's true of a lot of places. Uh, Part of the Voting Rights Bill was to do this thing called preclearance. You probably know way more about this than me because there's a a Supreme Court decision about it. Um, But the pre clearance section of the Voting Rights Act was gutted by the Supreme Court and those same states and districts, which are kind of all over the country, um, they have been working to exclude those same voters again. So without this preclearance thing, um, we're seeing the same uh, voting voting districts that restricted voting rights in the early part of the 20th century and all before that since the Civil War do the exact same things again. And that's that's why it's very important for the federal government to have some sort of oversight over state election laws so that's that's at least what i think clearly michael adams thinks differently so what did you think jasmine what did you think about michael adams and his dc testimony i think that this is kind of how he's been as a secretary of state as well he's always walking a fine line of trying to make a lot of different people happy i think (laughs) yeah yeah very true um another thing happened to michael adams on monday um, he was subpoenaed in a case in Missouri. Jasmine, is it weird? Have you ever subpoenaed an elected official? No. Never done it. Okay. Me? I have not. So Michael Adams was the lawyer from for former Missouri Governor Eric Greetens. Um, and also was paid by a group which Missouri journalists have called a dark money group. So 
Michael Adams had an interesting career before he became Kentucky's Secretary of State. So, so Eric Greitens was eventually forced from, from office in another very disturbing scandal, which you can look up if you'd like. But um, campaign finance issues also dogged that governor the entire time he was in office uh, and, and for much of the time afterwards. So this kind of campaign finance issues surrounding Eric Greitens, um, they have not gone away since he left the governor's mansion. One of the leading people in the charge against Greetings is this guy named Elad Gross, who eventually ran and lost for the Democratic primary for attorney general in Missouri. And Elad Gross won a case in the Missouri Supreme Court about exorbitant fees being charged for an open records request. And in Missouri, those are called sunshine requests. That's a nice term. I like the word sunshine. We, we should use that more often here in Kentucky. We have a lot of sunshine. Anyways, Gross had been seeking documents about Greetings and the dark money group that was actually paying Michael Adams. So this kind of court case, this Supreme Court case, was uh, kind of around Michael Adams quite a bit there in Missouri. And after the Supreme Court decision was won, the case you know, returned to trial court and Gross announced on Twitter on Monday that he had already issued subpoenas for both Greetings and Michael Adams. So that's very interesting to hear that our Secretary of State is going to be subpoenaed in a case in Missouri. So the Eric Greetings drama and the campaign finance stuff and all of the weird sex stuff um, has been a huge story in Missouri, obviously, but Michael Adams has mostly been able to avoid being tarred by it in Kentucky. But, you know, with a subpoena in the case for a sitting constitutional officer, maybe Kentucky journalists will start paying attention to this story. So, Jasmine, um, how much did you know about the Eric Greetings michael Adams connection before, like, hearing that uh, or, like, before the election uh, in 2019? Well, so I had totally forgotten about this story until we talked about it today, but I remember that we talked about it maybe twice on our show whenever he was running for Secretary of State. I think then I didn't take it super seriously because I thought that was the one constitutional office that Democrats might win. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I thought that Heather French Henry was going to be the secretary of state. Yeah. So I, I didn't know a lot of details, but I remember talking about it and it, it seems like maybe just a minor issue in his campaign, not something that he got, a ton of press or criticism about yeah and to be totally fair like heather french henry had trouble bringing up campaign finance stuff because her husband when he ran for governor had substantial campaign finance Uh issues Mm -hmm. and i think ended up you know facing a criminal trial because of it so kind of an imperfect messenger there on the democratic side in 2019 but yeah those issues definitely existed and exist to this day so we'll see if michael adams has to go into a missouri courtroom with maybe his secretary of state's pin on and testify about the dark money he received in Eric Greeton's campaign. So that was a big week for Michael Adams. Uh, very, very interesting stuff happening. Uh, the next thing we wanted to talk about is Kentucky's billion dollar surplus. So Kentucky's fiscal year 2021 receipts were $12.8 billion, which is a 10.9% increase year over year. And that equates to a $1.1 billion surplus. This is the largest surplus the state has ever had, and Governor Bashir says it's the most by a factor of three. The surplus goes to the rainy day fund, which is now more than $2 billion. So we more than doubled the size of the rainy day fund. As a note, the reason we're talking about this right now is because Kentucky, Kentucky's fiscal year runs from July to June. 
So it just ended, which is how we know how, mu- how much money we actually received. So three items make up Kentucky's revenue, or most of Kentucky's revenue at least, the individual income tax, business income taxes, and sales taxes. And according to Governor Bashir's budget director, Josh Hicks, all three items were up substantially year over year. The biggest increase percentage-wise was business taxes. They rose 38%. Sales taxes rose 12% and income taxes rose by 8%. The huge increase in business tax revenue comes at least in part uh, to a large amount of relief for those businesses due to an influx of money from the federal government and the multiple different COVID relief bills that happen for businesses. So that's good. Uh, the road fund also had a similarly huge year-over-year increase in revenue, including an 80% increase when comparing fourth quarters. So the fourth quarter is from is, you know April, May, and June and the Kentucky fiscal year. And you think about April, May, and June of 2020, that, that's probably the darkest months of all. Like I think March, everything started to get shut down. By April, everything was totally shut down. You know, May mm-hmm. things started maybe starting to come back to life a little bit and, and June, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more. But then you think about April, May, and June of 2021, that's when everything started, you know, getting better a lot. And a lot of people started coming out of their houses, spending a lot more money. Um, you know, it makes sense that you have a substantial increase in, in fourth quarters there. So for a few years, we've expected to see a pretty significant shortfall. In 2020, we expected to need a special session to deal with the road fund. or to, Yeah, to deal with the road fund, which we ended up not needing. Uh, we ended the year with a balanced budget that year. And a lot of people thought that fiscal year 2021 would include significant shortfalls as well. But obviously, that didn't materialize. Uh, I think the large amount of aid to individuals and businesses really helped the economy. And instead of, you know, using the significant amount of state and local funds uh, to address budget shortfalls, Kentucky's really now free to use that money to invest in our state for needed infrastructure projects and other really dire needs across the state. And, you know, Kentucky's a state that has a lot of needs. And now there's $2 billion in our rainy day account. I sincerely doubt that the Republican legislature will reduce the amount of money in the in the rainy day fund. I would like to see them do that. I would like to see them take half the money out of the rainy day fund and invest that and spend it into things that we actually need. But I don't think they're going to do that. But at least I hope that we don't spend any money in our budget next year funding the rainy day account. I think instead we should use all of the money that we bring in to address some of the neg- neglected parts of our state. So this news also shows that the legislature could have removed the taxes on unemployment in- income with no penalty whatsoever. That's something we talked about a few weeks ago, where individuals had to pay taxes on unemployment insurance, which a lot of states had waived. Kentucky did not. And that's really too bad, because I think a lot of people got shocked with a bill that they didn't need to. There was no, no need for Kentucky to tax that income. Uh, but we did, and the legislature didn't address it. So Jasmine, what do you think? One point one billion dollars? Does that uh, is that just because of you know? Thank goodness for the federal government, good management by the Bashir administration. I mean, what do you think about it, and what do you think Kentucky should do with it? I mean, it's it's definitely great, and I think that it's probably most of the credit probably goes to the federal government, but. I also think Governor Bashir had a really good proposed budget and got some of the things he wanted in the final budget. So I think that he gets credit as well. Um, I, I don't think we need to increase the rainy day fund. So I agree with you there also. I guess my question is, do you think, you know, if, if a lot of this is because of all the federal aid we got and COVID still 
you know, not over. Do you think that there, while this is a really good thing, do you think that there are future budgetary concerns from COVID that we might see in 2022? Yeah, Jasmine, I, 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 you know, we'll get into COVID next. COVID's definitely not over. There's definitely many, many more people who are getting it this week than last week. Um, but I do think the economic impacts of COVID are likely over. I don't think I'm seeing COVID really change people's behaviors like it did. And even mm-hmm. if people are getting sick and really people are starting to die in larger numbers, I don't, I mean, you know, we can cure it <laughs> or we can at least prevent it from happening. Um, and, and so uh, I don't think we're going to see the same sort of shutdowns and the same sort of economic impacts that we were, that we saw in, in 2020 or, or the first part of 2021. Um, so even though it's not over, I don't think it's going to impact our budget. Kentucky, though, does have, you know, an upside down budget where we mm-hmm. we don't bring in enough revenue. We give too much away in tax incentives. Um, and that has not gone away even though it's kind of like inheriting I would yeah if you had like a rich uncle who died and left you a bunch of money that's great you can cover your expenses you can maybe like put something back for a little a little bit but that doesn't change the equation which is like you spend more money than you bring in and and that's going to continue to happen until we do something about our revenue issues that we have in this state so that's that is what I'm kind of more concerned about all right. Well, the, the last thing we kind of have to talk about before we have a qu- couple of quick hits is COVID, like you mentioned already, Jasmine. So this <laughs> this is our worst COVID week in quite some time. A case has increased <sighs> to a level not seen since early June. The positivity rate increased and two counties were red at some point last week after not having a red county in, in about a month. So last week, cases remained you know, below an average of about 200 per day, and this week, every day saw an increase in the seven-day moving average. Currently, the seven-day moving average is 331 cases per day, and that is after a 470-case day on Tuesday. So a couple of days with a lot of cases uh, and, and you know, a pretty high average that's been increasing over time. Right now, there's 22 orange counties, which is a larger number than usual, and one red county. So right now, Carter County in in the northeast part of the state, which is kind of around the Ashland area, that's red. But during most of last week, Livingston County, which is clear across the state in the western Kentucky area along the uh, southern uh, Indiana border, getting almost close to, to Illinois, they had been red at some point. There weren't really many details that I could find about why Livingston County had an increase, but I think the increase in Carter County is due to a church trip when a lot of kids and their adult chaperones got COVID. So cases increased in Louisville to 223. That's a 48% increase in two weeks. Lexington, though, uh, up until at least Monday, we're seeing a decrease. I have seen some reports uh, about the time since then being some an increase then but uh in the week ending monday lexington had a decrease from 46 to 43 so vaccinations seem to be working in lexington but woodford county which boasts the highest vaccination rate in the whole state is actually in the orange right now so they have a large number of cases there as well i mean i do think it's worth saying that um, we are nowhere near the level that we saw, uh, you know, last year when things were really bad in the wintertime or really much even close to where we were last summer. Um, we had gotten down to a level not seen since the very beginning of the pandemic, and now we are coming up from there. So, so you know, things are worse than they were. They're not anywhere near as bad as they used to be. So that's something worth saying. 
the positivity rate is also increasing as of Tuesday. The number is 3.58%. And the last Tuesday, it was 2.65%. So almost a full percentage point increase in a week. I'm not exactly sure how to think about the positivity rate right now, though. Vaccinated people are likely not getting tested nearly as much as they were. And a lot of places that required a clean test, which is, you know, if you wanted to fly or if you were going to be seen in the hospital, um, you had to get tested. I don't think you have to do that anymore. You don't definitely don't have to do that for flights. So, you know, reducing the denominator of total tests, especially tests of people who aren't symptomatic, um, that's going to kind of wreak havoc on the positivity rate. At least I would expect it to. So I'm not mm-hmm. really sure how to think about it. I, I was reading yeah i was reading my uh time hop jasmine from last year and i was talking about how i'd been tested like three times in you know a month or something uh <laughs> not doing that anymore not doing that anymore um our vaccination rate has remained pretty stable about 2500 people per day that's not nearly enough and, and you know maybe with this increase in cases people who are putting off the vaccine will now get it Vaccinated people still have an extremely high level of immunity. That's goes without saying, and, and we're really, really well protected from COVID. However, children and other unvaccinated people are facing a really tough world right now. Uh, the people I feel the worst for are the parents of young children who cannot get vaccinated, who are having a really, really tough time. You know, they're probably vaccinated. They're probably safe, but their kids aren't. And that's a really scary place to be. So I really hope that they start allowing kids to get the vaccine very soon so that Everybody can get it who needs it and that families can be safe if they choose to be safe. So everybody get vaccinated. That's where we're at. Jasmine, what do, what do you, any COVID thoughts for this week? Pretty much the same as yours, Robert. Yeah. It is, it is getting scarier starting to see, you know, anecdotes about vaccinated people getting the Delta variant and just how easily it spreads and thinking about so many kids that still can't get vaccinated. Um, I think my anxiety about it is a little bit higher. I definitely am not in the place I was this time last year, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, a couple of quick hits before we get out of here. A man threatened Marty Polio at the JCPS office, uh, allegedly saying, quote, your life is effing over in your career as you know it, unquote. Uh, he didn't say effing either, you know. Uh, and he also <laughs> said he had a gun. So this was supposedly over the district's masking plan. Really scary stuff. Uh, you know, that's... You know, Marty Polio is a teacher and he's, uh, you know, the, the superintendent. He, he's dedicated his life to educating our children. And uh, this is what he gets for it. You know, the people who have, you know, basically taken up arms against the education system are growing in their boldness. And that's very scary. Um, so mm-hmm. our thoughts go out to Marty Polio there. And the last one, according to an interview with Lawrence Smith, Charles Brooker considered running for Louisville mayor before opting to run for U.S. Senate. So a lot of people had suggested that he run for mayor. Uh, he decided not to do that and ran for U.S. Senate. I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I didn't even think he would have considered it. What? You were the one who was saying he's going to run for mayor. Well, I, I might have said that once, but I backed off of it pretty quickly. I thought... He sent very clear signals very early that he wasn't interested in that job. Um, I thought it would have been a good idea for him. But, uh, no, I feel like he was saying pretty pretty early that, no, I want to be in the legislative branch. I, I feel like I said that. You definitely said you thought he was going to run for mayor. This was maybe even before his campaign, like, before he became neck and neck with Amy McGrath, you were like, yep, he's going to run for mayor. Yeah, okay, at that point, yeah, before he lost, yeah, I think that that was kind of what I was thinking. I thought it was a clear a clear place for him to go. But I think once he actually had the the time to kind of consider it, 
uh, and mm-hmm. said, yeah, um, no, I'm not interested in it. I feel like I feel like right as soon as he lost that race, he was very clear that that wasn't something he was interested in. So I might have said it that far back. But I, I, I don't doubt it. But yeah, anyways, he did consider it and decided against it, which has put us here. All right, that's it for Quick Hits. Let's get to our interview with Josie Raymond. Josie Raymond is a Kentucky state representative and a leader of Get Up Louisville, the movement working to provide free, high-quality, publicly funded pre-K for all three- and four-year-olds in Louisville. Representative Raymond's talked to us about pre-K lots of times in the past, but we're excited about this new group and its efforts. So, Josie Raymond, welcome back to my old Kentucky podcast. Thank you. I I do talk about pre-K a lot, don't I? Well, (laughs) it's your signature issue. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's If you're going to be a one-note politician, this is the note. Yeah, I agree. I'm really excited about this new group so much that I joined the steering committee. So, uh... (laughs) probably should say that at the beginning. Um, so yeah, we've been working together on this quite a bit, but we wanted to talk about it on the show. So Josie, you know, like you said, this is an issue that you care a lot about. And, and we've talked about the benefits of pre-K before, but before we get really into the details of what GetUp is doing, I, I think it would be a good place to start to just kind of remind everybody why pre-K is so important, both to you personally and for the children here in Louisville and the rest of Kentucky. Yeah, I I think I've gotten this reputation for thinking that pre-K is going to fix everything. And it's not going to fix everything. But it's going to improve everything from uh, child abuse abuse rates across the city and the Commonwealth, from um, the low rates of women in the workforce, um, shootings, uh, poor health outcomes across the city. Pre-K is the issue that touches everything else because it's when we get our children when they're when they're most ready to learn. So, you know, nobody's arguing with the brain science of the benefits for kids. We know that it not only helps prepare them for kindergarten, but it instills those soft skills, those executive functioning skills that are going to benefit them for life. Like, can you wait your turn? Like things that a lot of adults need to learn, <laughs> you know? Can you check <laughs> on someone when they fall down? But, you know, we've seen decades upon decades of research of more dramatic outcomes, including generational health outcomes. Then I also talk about the benefits for families and for caregivers. You know, what could our families who are currently paying $1,000 a month for childcare do with that money, you know, if they were able to access publicly funded pre-K? They'd have time to work or study or train. It would reduce parental stress big time, uh, which would improve households and health outcomes for the entire family. I want to talk about the benefits to workers Almost all of our early childhood educators are women. Almost all of them are underpaid. The average wage for early childhood educators is $9.78 an hour in Kentucky. Uh, so if we expand access to pre-K, we are expanding and professionalizing these, this workforce. And lastly, there's huge benefits to the economy. That's why the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce and Greater Louisville Inc. come out in support of expanding access to pre-K every year. It's like the one issue on their agendas that we don't touch in the legislature, which is kind of funny, but they've been incredible partners and we're all going to keep pushing it. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a lot of good reasons to have universal (laughs) pre-K. So GetUp's plan is to get all of the Louisville mayoral candidates during the 2022 election to take a stand for free, high quality, publicly funded pre-K. So have you had started having those conversations with the candidates who are already in the race and if you have how have those gone so far 
Yeah. So I've had a couple in, in my capacity as a, as state representative and get up the coalition and up is for universal pre-k uh is preparing to meet with those candidates now and to give them policy information and to answer the funding questions that we know that they're going to ask i talked to a leading democratic candidate for mayor who said simply yes (laughs) and i was like oh god i don't have like the scroll for you to sign in blood Um, We're continuing that conversation. And then I talked to the only Republican candidate for mayor, Bill Deereff, who's the mayor of Jefferson Town. And I know Bill because I I represent part of Mm J-Town. Bill is a a longtime early childhood advocate. As the president of the Kentucky League of Cities and in his role as the mayor of J-Town, he has worked citywide uh, on early childhood issues. And he believes in the the capacity of all kids to learn starting very early. And he's also uh, an involved grandpa. And that is a huge part of this coalition involved grandpas. Um, We're we're gonna have more formal conversations, but the first few have gone very well. So working with mayoral candidates means that, you know, the funding will probably go through Metro Louisville's budget and maybe not necessarily through JCPS. So why is the strategy currently to go through the regular budget and not JCPS's budget? Yeah, so JCPS is going to be a key partner, but they just don't have enough seats. So Jefferson County has about 10,000 three-year-olds and 10,000 four-year-olds. Right now, JCPS serves 3,000 kids in its pre-K program that's funded by the state. Uh, We know that to provide universal pre-K in Louisville, we need a mixed delivery model. And mixed delivery means that some families get it through expanded access to JCPS pre-K, Some families are in private centers. My baby, for example, goes to the Northeast YMCA, and we're very happy there. Some families are going to choose faith-based centers, and some are going to choose family child care homes. These are homes where people provide care for two to eight kids uh, during the day. And that's one big reason why we know this is going to spur entrepreneurship, particularly among Black families, immigrant families, and English language learner families who are seeking just the right environment for their kids to thrive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I do think it makes some people nervous to think about education that's not going through JCPS, but I think the logic is very sound in that we're just, it has to. It has to, there's just no way for it to just only go through JCPS. Well, the education's happening now. You know, I'm paying $300 a week for my baby to go to the Northeast YMCA to get high quality early childhood education. And what we're saying is every kid deserves that sort of access. So the education's happening now in every in every medium that I mentioned, uh, public, preschool, private centers, faith-based centers, and at home, uh, but it's not available to every kid in Louisville. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, it's worth it to say that this pre-K program would be additive. It's not replacing anything that JCPS is already doing. Uh, it's just trying to incorporate a lot of the children who are left out of the educational world as uh, three- and four-year-olds, uh, getting them access to it, um, which is very important as you mentioned at the fr- in the first answer. It's city, and, and, and you know, it's city infrastructure. You know, JCPS, we expect teachers and administrators at JCPS to be social workers and police officers and parents and teachers. But this is an issue of city infrastructure. And while we wait for the federal government to lead, and while we wait a real long time for state government to lead, this is an area where Louisville really, really can lead and support its residents. Absolutely. Well, the big question uh, whenever I tell people that I've uh, involved myself in, in Get Up is, 
how are you going to pay for it? Which I think uh, is probably what you've heard also. And funding is a huge issue. So, I mean, what's it going to cost to provide all the three and four year old children with free high quality uh, pre-K? And what is the plan to raise that money? Uh, a lot. It's going to cost a lot. One of the issues is that nobody knows the precise figure. And that's one great reason why the current mayor or the next one could use American Rescue Plan funding to establish the Louisville Pre-K Program Office, which could lay out what this would really look like in Louisville. Our non-negotiables are expensive, and that's to provide full-day early childhood education that's high quality to all of our three- and four-year-olds in Louisville. There's lots of ways to pay for it, though, and it can look a lot of ways. So in Philadelphia, the city uses a tax on sugary drinks to pay for pre-K. In Seattle, it's a property tax. In New York City, it's state funding. In San Antonio, it's a sales tax. GetUp has looked at how to pay for it in Louisville, and we think there's three good ways to do it. The first is to reallocate some money that's currently in the city's $900 million budget. The second is a new ad valorem tax, uh, which the city could do on its own. And then the third is to work closely with our legislators in Frankfurt to establish the ability to have a special taxing district to benefit youth in education here in Louisville. So any of those three would work. I'm so invested in this issue. I'm like, don't do evil. And I don't care how you pay for this, but um, GetUp's ready to partner with the next mayor to talk about policy, strategy, and the funding mechanism. Ultimately, though, we're not running for mayor. So it's up to each candidate when they accept this challenge, when they make this commitment to provide pre-K to all families in Louisville, to tell us their best ideas to fund it. Absolutely. So, so far we've been talking about organizing to get pre-K for kids in Louisville, um, but you are a state representative. So how is the movement to get pre-K for all kids in Kentucky going? Not great. So the reason I turned to Louisville, so I've been fighting like hell for three years in Frankfurt, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the the cool thing about pre-K is that there's not opposition. You know, everybody understands the brain science. Like we fight about climate science. We fight about election results. We don't fight about the brain science of pre-K. It's just low, low enough down on everybody's priority list that we don't get to it. You know, like acute issues come up and those are the ones we tackle in the legislative session. But even in the three years I've been there, we've made a lot of progress. I've got a Republican co-sponsor on some of my pre-K legislation. We've seen the Republican chairwoman of the House Education Committee say she thinks there should be pre-K for all. Of course, we have an education champion in our lieutenant governor, Jacqueline Coleman. I know she recently told you all that pre-K was her top legislative priority for 2022. Me too. So we will work together on that. And, you know, COVID has created an environment where every legislator is looking at the widening gaps. You know, we knew before that there were gaps and that too many kids couldn't catch up. Even when we received them at age five or six, they couldn't catch up. And now the gaps are even wider. I talk about data I got from the Kentucky Department of Education that 25% of our kindergartners didn't show up last year. So the question is, are they going to go straight to first grade, which is legal, they can do that, and be even more unprepared? Or are they going to go to kindergarten and turn eight years old? And nobody knows the answer. So we know we're going to be dealing with ramifications of COVID in our education system for years and years. And pre-K is is a lever that we can use to to tackle really the devastation. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and do you have any hope that if the the Get Up campaign is successful, and you know we we find a way to pay for pre K for all three and four year old kids in in Louisville, that the rest of the state will see that and see that you know nobody died from having to pay extra taxes, <laughs> extra taxes, and then maybe look towards doing it for the whole state. They're going to see the incredible outcomes in Louisville. Um, They're going to see companies attracted to Louisville. They're going to see employee engagement and retention go through the roof. Um, And they're going to see that this is something that that we should have done as a state a long time ago. You know, switching gears away from pre-K a little bit, is there anything else coming up in the 2022 legislative session that you are focusing on right now? Yeah, I've got some other good ideas. So one of them that I that I care a lot about is making Kentucky a ballot initiative state, uh, like the majority of uh, states in America. Um, this is where Kentuckians can put measures on the ballot and we can vote for them. This is how we get nice things. This is how we get paid leave. This is how we get marijuana. This is how we get an increase to our pitiful minimum wage. There have been more than 20 state ballot initiatives from, to raise the minimum wage and not a single one has ever failed. So I want to see it on the ballot here in Kentucky. I'm passionate about a bill to bring medical aid in dying to Kentucky. I share the story of my grandpa who shot himself in the head at the age of 94 in 2019. Uh, And and we know that Kentuckians need this option. And then the third thing I'm really excited about outside of pre-K is something called the Green Amendment. And I'm asking us to, to put in the Constitution the right to clean air and water. Uh, and it, it's just really cool to think about if we were to do that, how would that change our behavior and how we think about legislation? All of those sound like really great ideas. Um, yeah, as usual, the the ballot initiative thing I, I had heard you talk about before. Uh, have you gotten any interest uh, in, in that from anybody? No. <laughs> Very okay. Well, you know, we got a ways to go before the 2022 session. So, uh, you know, you know, in the time that you're not working on get up and getting all the kids in Louisville pre-K access to pre-K, um, you, you you have plenty of time to work on that as well. But yes, uh, going back to get up, if people want to get involved or are also passionate about pre-K, um, what are some ways that they can either get involved broadly or specifically with get up? Yeah, so right now we need people to go to our website, getuplouisville.com. Getuplouisville.com, and we need people to add their name to our list of public supporters. In New York City, people from every corner, every segment of society added their names and told the mayor of New York City that this is something they wanted. They demanded it, and they got it. Uh, And we can do the same thing here in Louisville. Then we'll know who you are, and we'll tell you when it's time to come out. We'll tell you when it's time to post online. Um, We'll tell you how to get more involved in this uh, fight for pre-K for all kids in Louisville. There's also a spot on there to share your story. We're asking you to share your pre-K story. What did it mean to your family? What could it mean to your family? Yeah, uh, I'm really excited about the work that we've done already. I've met a lot of really cool people. It's a pretty broad-based coalition of people who are already pretty interested in this idea, and I have nothing but the highest of hopes for Get Up Louisville. Josie Raymond, thank you very much for joining us. This was great. Thank you, guys. Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MyOldKWAPod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash MyOldKentuckyPodcast. And last but not least, we are part of the Dimcast Network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.